نصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد الحمد لله tonight is the first of July in the year 2023 and alhamdulillah we moved on to the 68th night that we're going through the exalted and dear life of the eminent companion Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu and we're steadily going through the section in which we're taking a few of his blessed words of wisdom and yesterday I mentioned the subject of tiyara i.e. evil omens and I promised that I would mention a brief on ta'weez and the reason I say that is because Abdullah ibn Mas'ud which I'll mention he relates from the Prophet that ta'weez are forbidden so the question is are ta'weez i.e. lawful amulets are they allowed in Islam so our beloved mother Sayyida Aisha radiyallahu she said amulets i.e. ta'weez are what are hung before the descending of affliction what is hung after it it is not an amulet this is recorded in Hakim in his Mustadrak 4-418 Sahih Behaki in his Sunan Al-Kubra 9-350. So this is a very interesting report from Ahmud Sayyida Aisha radiyallahu. She said that it's fine to use an amulet, a ta'weez, i.e. to protect you. But once you are afflicted, because there is no ta'weez, there is no amulet. Those according to our beloved mother Sayyida Aisha radiyallahu, one may wear a ta'weez if, for instance, one fears the attack of the mischievous jinn, one fears a particular ailment, the evil eye, etc. However, if one is already struck by the above, then her words are clear. What is hung after it is not an amulet. So this is our mother's stance, radiyallahu so, like I mentioned, there are apparently a hadith prohibiting the ta'weez. So, to reiterate the report from Ibn Mas'ud. Sayyidina Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud, who he relates that our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Inna al-ruqa wattama'ima wattiwalata shirk Verily ruqya, i.e. unlawful incantations, amulets, i.e. ta'weez, and tiwala, i.e. love charms, are shirk, i.e. are associating partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is in Abu Dawood number 3883, Ibn Imaj number 3530, Ahmad in his Musnad number 3615, Hakim in his Mustadrak 4-217, Sahih, Abu Ya'la in his Musnad number 5208, and Shaykh al-Bani al states Sahih in As-Sahira number 331. So Ibn Masood, he relates from the Prophet himself, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that these three things are shirk. Rukya, amulets, and tiwala. Another report which indicates this. Sayyidina Uqba ibn Amr al-Juhani, he relates. Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was once approached by a group of men 
who wanted to give allegiance to him sallallahu alaihi wasallam he sallallahu alaihi wasallam accepted it from nine but refused to accept from one of them they asked ya rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam you accepted nine pledges of allegiance and you left this one man he responded sallallahu alaihi wasallam indeed he is wearing a tamima indeed he is wearing an amulet a tawiz those the man entered his hand into his cloak ripped it and then the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam accepted his pledge and said man ta'allaqa tamimatan faqad ashrak whoever wears an amulet has committed shirk this is in imam ahmad in his musnad number 17442 tabrani 17885 hakim in his mustadrak 4219 sahih al-haythami in majma az-zawaid 5-106 stated hasan so look how interesting people are embracing islam so the knowledge of islam is probably at the lowest at, the, at that point one of them was still wearing an amulet the prophet did not even use that as an excuse he didn't say well he doesn't know he's just embracing islam the prophet refused to accept his pledge of allegiance and what did he say sallallahu alaihi wasallam whoever wears an amulet has committed shirk he goes how can i accept the pledge from somebody who's still in the state of shirk in another report sayyidina abdullah ibn uqaym radiyallahu was once lying sick on his bed so there was a companion very ill and someone said to him ala tuallaqu shay'a won't you tie something to see cure he replied al mautu aqrabu min dhalik death is better than that which you are calling me to i have heard the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say man ta'allaqa shay'an wukila ilayhi whoever ties anything i for help or protection shall be left to it this is in tirmidhi number 2072 ahmad in his musnad number 18781 to 6 behaki in his sunan 9-351 ibn abi shayba in his al musannaf 7-13 so you got apparently clear authentic hadiths prohibiting the tawis i say apparently if it wasn't if it was apparent then why is our mother different radiyallahu those with such apparently clear pronouncements a section of our glorious predecessors radiyallahu ta'ala an prohibited the use of even the quranic tawis let alone others so who are these individuals who didn't allow any tawis even if it was from the quran abdullah ibn mas'ud radiyallahu this is in ibn abi shayba in his al musannaf 5-35 Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhu uh recorded by Ibn Muflih rahmatullahi alayhi in his Adab al-Shadi'ah 381 the keeper of secrets Sayyidina Hudayfa radiyallahu in Ibn Abi Shayba 535 Sayyidina Uqba ibn Amr radiyallahu recorded in Ibn Abi Shayba 535 from the Tabi'in Ibrahim an-Nakhai rahmatullahi alayhi in Ibn Abi Shayba in his Al-Musannaf 536 and many others refer to Taysir 168174 Fath'ul Majid 128 Ma'adijul Qubul 1-470 Fatawa uh, and many other references so some of the senior authorities said absolutely prohibited in contrast the blessed scholars rahimahumullah who allowed tawis 
have clarified that the intended meaning in these flawless reports are those amulets that were used in the time of Jahiliyyah, which they believed had the power in themselves to attract benefits and repel harm independently from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how do the scholars who allow it count it? They can't count, they don't count the hadith of the Prophet. How do they explain it? They say these hadith are genuine. Definitely the Prophet said these words. But the Taviz he was referring to are those in the Jahiliyyah, not Islamic. Those, a section of our glorious predecessors, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, allowed the use of Quranic or permissible Taweez. So who? Sayyidah Aisha, radiallahu, referred to Hakim in his Mustadrak 4-418, Behaki in his Sunan 9-35, oh, but like I mentioned, not only prescribing it before the striking of anything, which one feared. Abdullah ibn Amr, halal Taweez, radiallahu this is in Abu Dawood, number 3893, Tirmadi, number 3528, Ahmad in his Musnad 2-181, Hakim in his Mustadrak 1-548. Sa'id ibn al-Masayyib from the Tabi'in, the most learned Tabi'in, allowed Tawiz. This is in Ibn Abi Shayba 5-43, Muhammad ibn Sirin, senior Tabi'in, student of Anas, he allowed Tawiz. In Ibn Abi Shayba in his Al-Musanna 5-44, Ata ibn Abi Rabah, the Mufti of Makkah, one of the senior Tabi'in, he allowed Tawiz. This is in Ibn Abi Shayba, in his Al-Musanna 5-43. And amongst the scholars, to mention one half is Ibn Hajar Asqalani, in Fat al-Bari 6-142. So, there's a split. Half is Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, in his Zad al-Ma'ad 3-180. He relates. Jafar al-Sadiq, was asked about Taweez of protection and he said if it contains the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or from his messenger then you may hang it and use it as a means of healing so from the Ahl al-Bayt Imam Jafar al-Sadiq he said as long as it's from the Quran and the Sunnah there's no problem with the Taweez for protection and also for healing he also recorded in Zad al-Ma'ad 4-358-9 that Imam Ahmad, rahmatullahi, he agreed to the use of Taweez and his son Abdullah stated he saw him writing Taweez for use in fevers and other diseases. So when people had a fever or other diseases, I saw my father write the Taweez so they could put it on. Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah, rahmatullahi, he mentioned in Majmu Fatawa 19-65, that Abdullah ibn Abbas, he used to write words of the Quran and dhikr and then wash them off with water and give them to a lady in labor to drink for ease of delivery. So this is another prescribed method where they would write something edible with edible ink and then they would put water over it and if a woman was finding it difficult to give birth, that would ease. And ibn Abbas would prescribe that. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud's main student, Mujahid, he said, there is no harm if one writes the Quran and washes it and gives that water to the sick to drink. Some people find that strange. Because what the heck is going on here? Were you writing on a play and then you're washing it off? And then the guy's drinking? Because, so the response is, this is part of our deen. Hafiz ibn Qayyim also mentioned in Zad al-Ma'ad 4-156 that Abu Qilaba would write verses of the Quran 
washed them and gave the water to a person to drink for healing. So this is some of the, the authorities. But now, so simply put, some say absolutely prohibited. Others allow it. So without going too deep into it, what's the safer approach? Just keep out of it. At least you're safe. You're, you're definitely safe. But now if you accept it, there's a few essential conditions. If these conditions are not in place, you're in serious trouble. The blessed scholars, Rahimahumullah, have stated that there are three conditions for a ta'aviz. If these three conditions are not in place, then you're not supposed to have that thing on you. Mm. Number one, it must be from the blessed words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or from his names and attributes. Mm. So the Quran or his blessed names. Number two, it must be in Arabic or from words whose meanings are understood i.e. in another language. Mm. So Arabic is the preference. But if you're going to use another language, it's got to be legible. Mm. And number three, it must not be believed that the ta'weez in itself causes the healing or protection. Mm. But that it is by the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the ta'weez is a source of benefit. This is the problem. That condition is very hard to keep. Why? Because simple test. Guy's got ta'weez on for 10 years. Take it off. What happens to him? You, you ask him that question, he starts shaking. Oh, no, brother, I can't take it off. Take it off, definitely take it off now. Because he believes that this thing is protecting him. Allah is the one who gives protection. And isn't it mentioned that when you go for a call of nature, the scholars say, take it off. You don't take these things into the places for the cause of nature. So there you go. That condition is not being met. A scholarly consensus on these three points were mentioned by Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani in his Fat al-Bari 10-195-7 and Imam Nawawi in his Sharh Sahih Muslim 14-168-9. Thus, if one of these three conditions are lacking, it is forbidden. See also Ibn Hibban Sahih number 6098 or 13-464. So what's interesting, even those who allow it, the people who follow that, they're not following that viewpoint. And it's not as if you slipped into something small. Think about it. What you slipped into, brother? Shirk. Right? And of course, leaving aside the argument with shirk, whatever the case, brother, there's nothing worse to slip into. So note again, these are ta'wees. So now question, if you do have a ta'wees and you take it off, what do you do with it? You treat it like with anything with the, which has the veneration. You bury it respectfully or you put it into some water, clean water. Except like, just like the Quran. Right? That's what you do. And how many times do people up Taviz? They don't even know what's in it. You know, I knew a person, I won't mention his name, he had a Taviz. And he got rid of it. And he goes, why did, I asked him, why did you... Uh, he goes, well, I, one day I just thought, what's in it? I was like, didn't you know what was in it? <laughs> well, if you put something on, imagine, you know, somebody gave him something and he put it on. What if he's got George Cross in there? Or the horns of Shaitan? And then he goes, when I opened it, then what happened is I opened it and he only had all these like numbers on it. Where's numbers in the conditions? How many Muslims, you know, wearing Tawabi? He said, oh, his brother Sahaba said, it's all right. First of all, hang on a minute. 
First of all, you're wearing a ta'awiz. You must know the three conditions. No, then why are you wearing a ta'awiz? So not again. In the Muslim world, you know, subhanAllah. Can you sell ta'awiz? So the scholars point out that those in the profession are exorcists and things like this, there's no harm. Right? But however, it's better, obviously, that you don't feast a beard for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is with regards to Tawis, and I wanted to mention that. Why? Because otherwise people end up having a heated arguments over it. There's a hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr in Abu Dawood, um, and the report mentions that he would write a Tawis for his children, and he put it around their neck. So that's a very important narration. Why? Because this indicates that the Tawis was for children because they couldn't recite the protection formulas, they're too young, or they didn't memorize it, whatever, then he put it on. He didn't put it onto the adults. So this seems to indicate that if a problem has a problem, I don't know the, you know, he's a revert, let's say, and he wants protection, and obviously Arabic language is a problem, then maybe there again, there's some scope there as well. But whatever the case, explain exactly what the ruling is. But Ibn Masood, he didn't take any prisoners, he just ripped it, right? You know, he goes, sorry, the family of Abdullah doesn't need shirk. Even though his wife was a companion, imagine. So moving on to the next section. Ibn Mas'ud, like I mentioned, he was one of the elite scholars of the companions. Is it true that some companions did taqlid of him? So what does that word mean, taqlid? Taqlid means to follow an alim without asking for any proofs because of his knowledge. So when a person says in today's day and age, I'm a Hanafi, what does that mean? I'm following the Hanafi school. I believe in the scholarship and I trust their scholarship. So you're doing taqlid of the Hanafis. And what's interesting is even those who profess not to follow a school, they're doing taqlid. But they're doing taqlid of their own scholars. So what's strange about the people who don't follow the four famous schools, you know, they go taqlid is something forbidden, but you're doing it. Right? When it comes to, for example, which fatwa do you, who do you take fatwa from? And they mention a handful of scholars. Yeah. And he goes, do you ever leave those scholars? You're doing taqlid of them? So why have you got a problem with taqlid when you're doing it yourself? So anyway, Abu Musa al-Ashri, he, radiyallahu, would do taqlid of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu. So going back to the report, in which Abu Musa approached Abdullah ibn Mas'ud as to what he had observed taking place in the Masjid of Kufa, in which there were two groups of people who were performing dhikr in union with pebbles. Note, he did not make any judgment upon them without going to this eminent companion first. So I've already mentioned the proof. When I mentioned the incident of the zikr, when the people were doing zikr in groups, did Abu Musa give a verdict? He went straight to Ibn Masood and he goes, I wanted to know what you say. So there's the proof, he's doing taqlid. Indeed, the blessed scholars, Rahimahumullah, have pointed out that Abu Musa al-Ashari, radiyallahu, would perform taqlid without question of Abdullah Ibn Masood, radiyallahu. Take the following few examples to highlight this reality. There's many, but I want to mention a few. In Abdul Razak in his Al-Musannaf, volume 3, page 293, Sheikh An-Nimawi, in his Atar As-Sunan, number 996, with his Sahih Kena transmission, Al-Qama and Aswad, Rahimahumullah, they both relate. 
one Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu was seated together with Hudayfa, Abu Musa and Sa'id ibn al-As arrived. And he asked about the number of takbirs for the Eid prayer. So picture the scene. Three Sahaba are sitting together. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Hudayfa and Abu Musa. Another Sahaba arrives and he's asking how many times do you do takbir in Eid? Hudayfa radiyallahu was approached first. He goes, ask Abu Musa. So the three of them. He goes, go to Abu Musa, ask him. Abu Musa in turn responded, ask Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, for he is the most senior amongst us, the most learned. So what are they doing? So you can't use the argument, it's his humility. He's explained. He goes, he is the most knowledgeable of us. Because ask him, he's the most senior. Dos Sa'id ibn al-As put the question to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and he said, one must recite four takbirs, then recite the Quran, ay Fatiha, and then go into the ruku. Then when he stands for the next rakat, let him first recite the Quran, then call out the four takbirs before going into ruku. So now why is this strange? Because this is the established Hanafi position. Why do you think they've adopted this position? The people say they don't follow Hadith. What do you think they're following? Gospel of John. Right? So what did Ibn Masood say? Four takbirs before you... You noticed what happened. We just recently done the Eid prayer. I don't know why you pray like that, but if you pray behind the Hanafi, this is what happens. So he does the opening takbir. There's a pause for you to recite. And then all of a sudden, Allahu Akbar... Allahu, and then they're looking at each other, don't know what's going on. And then you complete the rakat, you come back up. But then after Fatiha and the Surah, he does again the takbir. And this is what Ibn Masood said, because this is what you're supposed to do. And the Hanafi say, that's it. This is the ruling. The other schools have their proofs. But we're going to Ibn Masood's life. And I'm explaining the taklid. Abu Musa refusing to give any verdict. When Ibn Masood present, with regards to the funeral press, Al Qama came from Sham to Iraq and asked Abdullah Ibn Masood, Your brothers in Sham make five takbirs in their funerals. Would you now specify for us a certain number that we would expect to make behind you? Abdullah Ibn Masood was silent for a while. And he said, in your funerals, make as many takbirs as your imams make. No specific number, i.e. there is accommodation for this. Mm. This is recorded by Hafiz ibn Hazm, who graded it Sahih. As the Shaykh al-Bani, rahmatullahi, in his Ahkam al-Janais, page 143. So what's happened? Mm. Takbirs in Janazah. The Janazah prayer, how many takbirs? There's four. The opening takbir, second takbir, third, and the fourth to finish class. Mm. Al-Qama, he came to Ibn Mas'ud. He came from Sham. He goes, they're doing five in Sham. So Ibn look how interesting. He paused. Now what does that mean? He was remembering, recollecting. And he knew that there was text. And then he simply said, whatever your imam does, follow him. If he does more, do more. Meaning his accommodation for this. On the same subject, Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud said, three actions 
Rasulullah performed, the people have left. One of them is the salutation in the funeral prayer being the same as the salutations in the obligatory prayers. This is a Behaki and Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullah stated Hassan in Ahkam al-Jana'is, page 127. Now what's interesting about that? There's ikhtilaf here. The Hanbalis, they say, there's one salam when you do janazah. So when you go to Hajj and Umrah, you find out you just keep standing there, waiting for a second, you'll be waiting there to Asr. There's only one salam. So now, let's look at this report. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, authentic report. He goes, there are three things which Rasulullah did and you have left. <laughs> One of them is giving both the salams in the janazah prayer. So what did he notice? People were giving one salam. Now what's interesting, why did he not stop them? So the scholars point out there's something here that's also showing permissibility. But Ibn Mas'ud was firm of the belief you should do two. Because Rasulullah did this. One salutation is permissible. How do we know? Abu Huraira said, Rasulullah performed the funeral prayer. He made four takbeeds and only one salutation. This is in Behaki, Hakim and others. And Shaykh Al-Bani graded it Hassan in Aqam Al-Jana'is, page 127. This is why Imam Ahmad, he prefers this report. So what do you notice? When there's a difference of opinion, don't be an idiot. You get fruitcakes now. Straight away, they'll see something that goes against what the Imam has said. Oh, he didn't know the hadith. So the response to that is, how do you know he didn't know the hadith? That's an assumption in your part. Second question, what a bad assumption. Instead of thinking good of the Imam, what have you done? You've done a negative assumption. You should think, he knew the hadith. And somebody says, how do you know he knew the hadith? I'm just having a good, good assumption, brother. That's better than rather to say he didn't know it. And then you ask them, how do you know? Because he would have applied it. And then you will respond by saying, well, maybe the hadith is abrogated. So why would he apply an abrogated hadith? And straight away you realize there's no thickness going straight to hadith. So when you turn to the companions, what do you realize? They give you the fiqh. And Ibn Masood the said that there should be two. However, with respect, one is also permissible. But note what he said, follow the Imam. If the Imam does one, don't you do two? Some people do that. I've noticed, you know, I was in Makkah. <laughs> I won't mention who it was, but he did the second salam. Why do you do second salam? He goes, well, I'm finishing my janazah prayer. I don't know, the Imam finished with the first. And then he goes, yeah, but I'm finishing mine. So I goes, but... Then I thought, oh, forget it. He was arguing. Well, who's the Imam? You are the Imam. You follow the Imam. If the Imam makes a mistake, you don't finish prayer, dear. When he made the mistake, I'm finishing. You follow the Imam, even though I didn't make the mistake. Everybody agrees to that. So why are you differing with the Imam? And note, there's text for that. Fine, no problem. Alhamdulillah. So all I mentioned today was basically a very, a very brief section on the Taweez, i.e. is it permissible or is there something forbidden in Islam? And note, it's not, the matter is not as clear as some people make it appear to be. And then I mentioned, of course, the three conditions. And then I mentioned now the start of the subsection in which I'm highlighting a very famous companion, Abu Musa, 
and his radiyallahu and his taqlid of Ibn Mas'ud. The reason I'm mentioning this is because this is part of our teachings. When people say taqlid is innovation, you hear people say this. Why are you following the imams? Follow Rasulullah. Then he goes, are you going to say, say the same to the sahaba? Why, why do you go and ask Abu Musa? Follow Rasulullah. Don't follow Ibn Who the hell are you, brother? Where have you popped out from? We had t-shirt jeans. <laughs> the Sahaba were doing this. But ultimately, they're following Rasulullah. They're going through the people they trust. So again, this is how you look at these matters. But again, you know, subhanAllah. End of time. Are there any questions you ask?